0: Now, in this letter, we've seen, um, if you've been with us in previous weeks, that God wants to use the church to save the world. It's no small job uh, the the church has been given. And um, uh, we've thought about the church as if it were a a ship, and all of us on board uh, trying to to steer away from the rocks and uh, towards people who are still in the water. Uh, drowning, needing saving. And today, at the end of the letter, we see really clear, really clearly what what might lead the ship to destruction, uh, where the rocks are, and how to steer away from that and um, uh, uh, to safety and to rescuing others. Uh, here, here Paul says, um, uh, this uh, final chunk of the letter, beware. Of loving money, and instead take hold of eternal life. Beware of loving money. Um, so we're on the ship, and we, um, you know, probably have no idea how to pilot a, a great big ship. But do you remember we had um, this uh, excellent find, the um, uh, book called "Instructions on Piloting a Big Ship"? Uh, perhaps you remember we um, we discovered this before. Um, but it's no good to us if we don't listen to what it says. If Someone gets up and, and has a look and then says, "Ah, oh, no, actually, I've got my own ideas. Let me tell you how we are going to go about piloting this big ship. And Paul gets back to that sort of idea here, doesn't he? So um, uh, where we started reading halfway to, through verse 2 of chapter 6, uh, these are the things, the things he's just been talking about, these are the things you're to teach and insist on, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, that is this. In other words, the, the Bible It's the instructions on how to pilot the big ship. If anyone doesn't agree with that, they are conceited and understand nothing. Conceited is another way of saying proud. And this is the biggest possible sort of pride or conceit. The ultimate arrogance to say, actually, I don't need God to tell me how to do it. Thank you very much. I'm going to work it out for myself. I'm going to go it alone. I don't need to listen to the Bible, to be changed by the Bible. So however clever someone might be, however many degrees they have, if they say that, really, Paul says, they understand nothing at all. Because the most basic truth of the universe is that God made it. He's in charge of it. So what he says goes. If you understand anything, then you'll listen to him. And so what happens when they reject uh, what God says? Well, they end up with, uh, carry on reading, uh, an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words. Uh, That unhealthy is... um, uh, you know sick, it, 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 it's um, uh, a sign of ill health. Uh, their, their hearts, their minds are unwell if they are doing this. They get distracted by things which aren't important fixated on stuff that doesn't matter. and the results are, are not just that you know they, they neglect some important stuff and, 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 um, and care too much about unimportant stuff. The results are disaster. Uh, This is the way that the ship is going to crash into the rocks, verse 4. They result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth. If a church leaves the Bible on the shelf in practice, if we don't really listen to it to find out what we should do, in our corporate decisions as a church and in our individual lives, then this is what we should expect to happen more and more. So churches which would define themselves as liberal, freed from the the historical shackles of the Bible, will increasingly look like this. Now why on earth would anyone choose to do that? There's one reason given here in verse 5. Uh, At the end of verse 5, they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now that might sound very strange uh, to our ears. Uh, In the days that uh, Timothy uh, lived, you'd have um, seen professional (coughs) preachers and philosophers going round from uh, town to town, uh, making money from their ideas. Uh, People would pay them to stand up and, and, and do some teaching. And clearly there was a Christian version of that, using Christian teaching as a tool uh, to make uh, money. Now, the warning against that doesn't contradict what Paul had earlier said in chapter 5 about um, teaching elders being paid for their work. But it ought to make us cautious. Because if someone loses sight of what godliness real Christianity, real religion, is actually about, then they will begin to run after the things of this world. If eternal life does not fill someone's focus, then this world will. And in this world, money is power and pleasure and gain. Money makes the world go round, people say. But look at how Paul continues, verse 5. They think that godliness is a means to financial gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Uh, Paul described that early on in the letter as shipwreck. They've made shipwreck of their faith by chasing after money. Now imagine I um, uh, went into uh, Northampton Museum. Anyone been to Northampton Museum? Um, Imagine I went to Northampton Museum and uh, found... Uh, the most valuable paintings and items that I could and, and pick them up uh, and, and hold on to them and said, said to people, look at, look at these amazing things I have. Look how rich I am. You'd probably um, uh, have a word or, or two to say to me, wouldn't you? You'd say, well, look, they, they weren't yours when you came in. Probably a security guard is going to come along any moment and take them off you, and you certainly won't be allowed to leave with them, will you? That's pretty much the case for the riches we try and accumulate in this world more generally, isn't it? All our riches are temporary. We thought, we thought about that quite a bit last week when we thought about using what we've got for eternity instead of storing it up now. And Paul says, here and now, on the, the, the short journey of this life, all we need is the necessities, food and clothing. If we've got that, we'll be content. We, we won't seek after more. And note the um, uh, uh, if, there, if, if there are necessities. There is a poverty, uh, perhaps homelessness uh, and so on, which might legitimately lead to discontent. Uh, we're not to be like, um, probably falsely quoted, Marie Antoinette, uh, who, um, when people said, you know, that the people have no bread, and she said, well, let them eat cake. We're not to be kind of heartless and thoughtless about those who don't have the basic necessities of life. But the point here is, look, we're born into this world. When a little baby is born, they don't come with the stuff that they're going to need, the stuff that they're going to get. They come with nothing. They don't own anything. And then when they leave this world, when someone dies, they cannot take anything with them. There are no pockets in the shroud. Now, uh, Paul does say, verse 17, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We're not to be ascetic. We're not to be against uh, uh, pleasure, good stuff, physical belongings. But we are to recognise the difference between necessities and luxuries. We're to be content with having what we need. And everything else is a bonus from God. The overflowing of his generosity, which should result in the overflowing of thankfulness from us. If we don't have those things, we oughtn't be discontent. Perhaps it would be helpful uh, to uh, make a column, make two columns, and jot down one column of necessities. Uh, What what do I really need? Uh, What sort of house? What sort of uh, stuff? What do I need? And then another column bonuses or luxuries. Uh, what kind of house do I actually have? What kind of stuff do I actually have? What extra income has God given me? And be careful to be grateful for the extra stuff that God has given us. Because many of us, realistically, will be taking some stuff for granted uh, as if it were a necessity which is actually luxury. Uh, verse uh, 9, uh, uh, Paul is not talking about um, uh, the, the danger of um, money itself so much as the love of money, people who want to get rich. There's nothing wrong with a Christian having money, having a lot of money. Verse uh, 17 acknowledges there are real Christians who are rich in this present world. But the key thing is our attitude towards money, whether we have it or whether we don't. Back in chapter 4, those, those false teachers seem to be anti-good things. And we may not like it when there are other Christians who are richer than us. We may assume that there is greed involved. We may uh, scoff um, at um, uh, perhaps the way they must have got their money. Or the way that they must be spending their money. But actually that says more about us than it does about them. Being less well off than others may not protect us from the love of money or from greed. Christians are not against money. Verse 10 uh, has been misquoted very often. It's not money is the root of all evil, but rather the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Love of money is a trap. It'll ensnare us. It'll make us want things that we don't have, that God has not promised us. It'll make us covet what others have. It'll lead us uh, to ingratitude, envy, strife, discord, and false teaching. What goes for money, by the way, is true of uh, stuff as well. Uh, children, that's true for you, as well as uh, for, for grown-ups. Uh, do you think life would be better if you had whatever it is, that, that toy that you really want that someone else has? Uh, the, the, um, uh, the next Barbie doll, like your friend, a new Sta- Scalectrix, or however you say it, car track, or whatever it is that, that is um, exciting to you, uh, the new video game. Uh, Grown ups, it could be anything for you. I, I, perhaps, like me, you, you, you love getting the best deal and um, uh, trawl, trawl through websites for ages when we could be spending our time on much more valuable things for the sake of other people. Maybe we get obsessed with um, our savings or our pension pot, making sure that we're going to have a comfortable lifestyle in the future. Perhaps you're um, a teenager. And you're thinking about your future, what your career is going to be. And instead of thinking about how best you can serve God, you're thinking about how to get enough money to have the right sort of lifestyle, enough uh, space uh, in, in your house, or uh, perhaps just stable income, safety. If you love money, if you're not content with the basics, you'll see it in terms of your expectations of your life. Uh, yesterday's, necessity, necess- uh, yesterday's luxuries becoming tomorrow's necessities. Your hopes uh, for yourself or for your children, perhaps. and Eventually, a love of money will stop us being able to concentrate when we read the Bible. Stop us wanting to serve in um, the youth group, in Rooted, or in Join the Dots, or in church more broadly. Stop us from wanting to share what we've got with others. It'll stop us from wanting to come to church on Sunday when that new kitchen is being installed or uh, the garden is being done or whatever it might be. It's been said that um, either sin will keep us from the Bible or the Bible will keep us from sin. More specifically, this passage, I think, teaches us that either the gospel will keep us from greed or greed will keep us from the gospel. Which do you want to happen? A lack of contentment with what God gives us, a greed that, that always wants more, which wants our quality of life to always go up, will end up destroying us. Those are the rocks that we're called to avoid, steer away from. Only the gospel can bring real contentment. And so we're going to spend the rest of um, uh, our time Uh, In this sermon, focusing on the charge at the centre of the letter to Timothy, verses 11 to 16. Because the key idea there, and it comes up again afterwards, is take hold of eternal life. That's the alternative uh, to the love of money. Uh, Verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. If um, Timothy is going to be a good leader in the church, Paul says the first thing he's got to learn to do is run away. That might be surprising. Uh, Children, there might be a question which that might help you answer in your booklets. The first thing that a leader has to do is run away. We all need to recognise our weakness. Uh, Whether we are uh, new to Christianity or or whether we've been Christians donkey's years. Uh, Whether we're... Um, uh, ordained ministers. Uh, We all need to recognise our weakness. We need to see that any of us can be tempted. And so to run away from temptation. We all need to do that. I need to set limits for myself about how much uh, time I will spend thinking about um, saving money or trying to get money. Uh, Parents, you need to have your children to to do this. If you can see that they really love getting uh, stuff... Uh, don't fuel that by giving them catalogues to look through to, to work out what they want for their birthday or for Christmas. In the church, we need to do that in, in our structures. We, we try to uh, flee from temptation by making sure that, that um, the elders don't have access to, to money or financial details. Um, and that Matthew and others are, are held to account by being part of a team. We need to flee from temptation, all of us, and, and um, uh, individually as well as together. But of course, it's not just avoiding sin- sinning that will sustain a Christian in this. It is avoiding. It's, it's not just avoiding those rocks. It's it's steering towards the good things that we need to get to safety and salvation for ourselves and others. Um, so pursue, Paul says, flee from. Uh, these things, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Being a Christian means dedicating your energy to pleasing God, to being like Jesus. Have a look at those things. They're there in verse 11. Are you proactively pursuing them? Think about how you might be able to do that more and more. Creatively, wholeheartedly. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. And with gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith. It means Fighting not at fighting physically against other people, fighting not only against the sin that lives within us, but fighting for the life that Christ, Christ is giving us. In that way we take hold of eternal life, we grip onto the eternal life that God has given us in Jesus. And the idea of that good confession there um, in verse uh, 12, that Timothy made, and then that Jesus made, verse 13. Uh, Paul, when he was ordained as an elder, and Jesus in front of Pontius Pilate. That's a confession that Jesus is the only source of life. But Jesus himself said that, and he got killed for it. So say that, and, and mean it, and live like it's true. Don't run after the things that you think might la- make your life nicer here and now. Don't spend your daydreams on things that are going to fade and rust and spoil and be taken away. Grip onto eternal life. If we're on a lifeboat, we're not to get out the sun lounges and enjoy ourselves. We're to get involved. Flee. Flee. Pursue, fight, hold on to eternal life. How can we keep on doing that? It, 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 it's easy to say on a Sunday morning when we're together in church, uh, surrounded by people who are seeking to do, to do it. But when we're on our own, uh, when we're in, in our office or uh, with colleagues or, or family uh, or friends who don't believe, well, how are we going to keep doing these things? I think there's an idea in verse 13, which is very helpful. Verse 13, in the sight of God who gives life to everything. In the sight of God. It helps to remember who is watching us. The context we find ourselves in. Apparently um, there was a Catholic school who um, had a bowl of biscuits with a sign above it. Which said, please take only one biscuit. God is watching. And so while um, the children... We'll pass. they get to that, that bowl and they look up and they just take one biscuit. But some, one of the children had put up a sign on a bowl uh, at the other end of the counter, which was full of apples, saying, take as many as you want, God's watching the biscuits. <laughs> um, but of course, all of life is lived in the sight of God, and it helps us. It is actually of some help to remember that, that we live our life in front of God. When we think that nobody's watching us, Well, what's our attitude? I'm tempted to to skimp on um, uh, sermon prep, as long as I'll have something that that all of you think is okay. More than that, though, I'm much more tempted to skimp on praying for all of you. Nobody else is going to watch that. But who am I living in front of? Who is my audience? Knowing that God is watching. It's not like the idea of um, uh, an elf on the shelf, if you've come across that, a way to kind of manipulate behavior. God isn't watching us, waiting for us to slip up and tell us off. No, he's watching us like a parent watches their child, eager for us to, to grow into people of truth and love and faith and so on. The things that we do in our lives matter to God. He is watching Because it matters to him. And so our lives are lived in the presence of God. It's true for church leaders like Timothy. It's true for church members. It's true for everyone, actually. Our lives are lived in the presence of God. And so, uh, verse uh, 19, we are to live to please the God who's watching us. And so we're generous in ways that, that nobody else might see. This is talking about the rich being generous with their finances. It goes for every part of life. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In eternity, we will treasure the godliness that we have pursued in our lives. Perhaps you thought after last week's Giving Sunday that that you want to start giving to the gospel work that we're doing as a church family. Well, living life in the sight of God, taking hold of eternal life, will mean acting on that, not just leaving it there as a nice thought, but doing it. And living life in the sight of God means living eternal life now. Grasping hold of it, not letting go of it. So beware loving money, take hold of Eternal life. Watch out for those rocks, and join in in piloting the ship to safety for you, for your sake, for the salvation of others. So the final charge of the letter combines the warning we've been seeing and that positive charge to treasure and hold out, hold on to, and hold out the glorious message of salvation. Let me just read out uh, those last two verses of the letter. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter. And the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed professed, and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's pray.